Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, June 20th. It's on how to approach the intake process without spending hours on assessments. As BCBAs, we know that sometimes the new learner intake process can seem to take forever, but our learners need to get started with programming and make progress as soon as possible. So how can we streamline the intake process so that it doesn't consist of hours of assessments? Join us live on Thursday, June 20th at 12 p.m. Eastern time, as Sheer and I walk you through our intake process with lots of video exemplars of different learners and teach you how to use our assessment with ease. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At HowToABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Hi, everyone. Today, we are talking with Nicole Stewart who is a BCBA and co-founder of Supervision Reimagined, which is doing some pretty interesting things. So we are excited to have you. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about you, your background, and like what you're currently doing? Sure. So I am a behavior analyst. I am also a certified special education teacher. And I started my career at the New England Center for Children. And then I worked in a few public schools in Massachusetts. I moved to New York in 2010. And I was working in a school and a center that um, is a private placement for children with autism, primarily one-to-one setting. Um, eventually, by the time I was, by the time I left there, which was just this past June, I was the clinical director. And now I am self-employed. I am a newly minted entrepreneur. So I am doing a little bit of everything, but my passion project, well, I guess, you know, I'm sure you know how it is. I feel like when you're self-employed, everything is your passion project and you get to do all of your passions. But my passion project right now has been Supervision Reimagine, which I co-founded with two amazing women, Gabriella Davila and Megan Dennehy. And uh, we really want to lower the barriers to providing effective supervision within organizations, particularly ones that don't have access to that joint university where your coursework and your program, your fieldwork program all are interwoven together. So um, we're working, we're working to reduce those barriers. Wow. That sounds awesome. And I mean, we all acknowledge that there are huge gaps in supervision um, and we can really do better as a field. What were you noticing in your experience that really led you to be passionate about this? I've probably supervised over my career about 100 people, uh, either through supervision, student teaching. Maybe they weren't getting supervision, but they were an ABA instructor in my classroom, but just probably probably 100, 150 people. And so I've seen that people come in with different levels of experience. And particularly when you look at BCBA supervision, and when you look at people who come in at the BCBA level, 
I probably supervise 20 or 30 different BCBAs specifically. And when they come in, they all have different foundations. And so there are some BCBAs who come in and they hit the ground running and they can take a full caseload. And then there's other BCBAs who come in who are like, oh, I never wrote goals. My whole supervision was was just 1,500 hours working with kids. And it really, it's, it's hard as a supervisor to then manage, okay, this person really needs their hand-holding, but this person doesn't, but now person A is resentful that I'm micromanaging them when they have the same credentials or the same amount of experience, but the quality of their experience isn't equal. Um, so, and I've just seen, as I've supervised people in field work, I've seen different practices that are more or less effective. And so trying to put those together to make a progression so that supervision follows a logical sequence to really prepare people to work as independently as possible. Because once you get those letters, you can be independent. You can be, but maybe you shouldn't be. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a separate issue, which I feel like we could have a whole other discussion on. Yeah, I feel like, you know, supervision needs to become, I mean, they've done a really great job over the years uh, in advancing supervision and advancing, you know, the number of required hours and the task list and what we need to know as BCBAs. But you're right, the final product varies so much um, based on the quality of supervision people have had. Um, You know, your website looks amazing and your vision is beautiful. Do you want to explain that a little bit more? Because I'm really curious to just dive in there and ask you so many questions about it. Yeah, sure. So you're totally right. You're spot on that the BACB has made all these advances in the requirements for supervision. And I know some people get frustrated because the restricted hours and the unrestricted hours and the number of observations. But the reality is, is that what what's happening is that the financial sustainability for supervision isn't keeping up with the requirements. And so it's really hard when you're an RBT and in order to make a livable wage, you have to work 30 to 40 hours a week. But then to get BCBA supervision, you have to find your own time for your unrestricted activities. And so we wanted to develop a process that lowered some of those barriers. There's been some precedent set by other organizations or other um, behavior analysts that are, are also doing amazing things in the field. And so what we looked at was the idea that, well, you need to be a direct care therapist. You need to be fluent in that. You need to understand what that experience is like. So important, by the way. I just want to say so many people come in without having that experience. And that is so key. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's really, um, if you don't have it, you don't understand what it's like to be working with a kid for four hours a day. And even if they're well-behaved, it's still, it can still be really tiring. Um, and so we wanted that, but then on the flip side, there's people who only do that for their whole supervision and they don't get the rest of the experience. So you have to, you have to find a way to limit it so that it's you, if you meet these competencies, you show that you're fluent in whatever this agency does working directly with kids. If you're at a feeding clinic or you do early intervention or you work in home base, you show that you are fluent as an RBT and you can work with with most kids pretty easily and do that direct care. And then once you've passed those competencies, our second phase is a clinically applied project. And so I know that a lot of graduate programs or advanced certificate programs may have a thesis where you have to work on experimental design, you have to research, a, you have to come up with a question and do research on it in the literature review, but not all of them do. And 
What I found is that I've had some trainees that want to do that on their own anyway. And so we do it and they end up having the opportunity to do staff. They end up becoming an expert in this topic. And then they want to do, they get to do staff training on that topic. They get to speak to parents on that topic. They get to learn how to speak to a staff member versus how to speak to a parent, how to speak to different stakeholders. That's so huge. I don't find that there's like the communication training is so limited, right? You know, we get all of the knowledge through ABA textbooks and theory, um, you know, and then if you have worked in the field with kids, et cetera, I think that's amazing. um, And you get that practical knowledge, but nobody really says, hey, this is the way to communicate with people. And not only that, but there's different ways to communicate. There's ways to communicate with your coworkers versus your boss versus kids, versus parents, versus other clients, et cetera. Absolutely. That's huge. It's so true. And it's not, it's not really on the task list necessarily either. And it should be front. Like it should be the first thing on the task list. Yes. How to, how to differentiate and discriminate your communication skills if we want to make it behavior analytic. Um, And so, yeah, so it's, it's being able to do all those things in this area that you're an expert, you you're becoming an expert in. So the one that always stands out to me is I did uh, a project with one of my trainees on error corrections. And it started because she came to me and she was like, well, why do we do this error correction? And I've been in the organization for five or six years. I was like, I don't know. Someone taught me to do it. And so that's how we do it. I love it. Uh, and she was like, well, my last organization did it this way. Why don't we do it that way? I was like, I have no idea. So she, she did her own research and she found that there wasn't a lot of research on error correction. So she designed her own study and then she had to train staff members. She had to train two staff members to help her run it. She had to get consent from the parents. She did a staff training presentation. She did a literature review and and a full write-up. And then we submitted it for a poster for ABAI. Wow. And it was really, it was interesting actually because our error correction was the most effective and more the error correction she was doing at the other organization was less effective than not doing one. Wow. It was really interesting. And I think wow. it also, yeah. Like, oh, that's, that's, but it also, it, what that does is it, it shows her that you should be asking questions, right? It's yeah, that's okay a great point. to ask questions and it's okay to ask why. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, such a great point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I think that we're all doing amazing things in these silos. And because we're all so busy with our day-to-day lives, there isn't that dissemination piece where an organization in Kansas maybe is doing a completely different error correction that's really effective that we don't even know exists. And so by building it into BCD supervision, you're also promoting dissemination within the field. We're now the person in Kansas who's also doing error correction research. Maybe they have a poster at ABAI and they meet my trainee and now they're connected and they're working together. And it only helps promote our field and help advance our field when we do that, as well as our trainees. So there's like a lot of a lot of motivating operations going on and a lot of buy-in going on to help people feel motivated to engage in a clinically ap- applied project. But it also is that kind of single exemplar training where you get to do, it's only one ABA topic, but you get to do all these other soft skills or hard, I mean, I think they're hard skills, but uh, like the behavior analytics, yeah, yeah, Yeah. all those other components in the topic you're an expert in and really have ownership. And so once you've mastered that, you've 
you've learned how to talk to parents, you've learned how to to do all these different components. And so you shadow a BCBA within your organization and you're actually given BCBA level work. And so you're able to do that. Maybe you have a 50% caseload or 75% caseload, or it starts slowly where you take on the components that you're strongest with and have more support with the components that you need more training with. And so it allows the BCBAs in theory to supervise larger caseloads because they know that they're getting trainees who have a foundation. They've passed these competencies. They've spoken to parents before. They've they've trained staff before. They've learned what behavioral skills training is. They've learned how to use, you know, Google Scholar research. And you know that there's there's a baseline there so that you can start to transition some of those responsibilities over without overloading the BCBA. And the goal is to make the BCBA's life a little bit easier, give the trainee more applied opportunities. And then what um, Little Star in, in Indiana, Little Star ABA in Indiana has an apprenticeship program and they have been able to actually grow their organization using the apprenticeship program and bring in, I think, lower their, their costs because obviously a trainee is going to be cheaper than a BCBA. And if a BCBA can have a 150% caseload without 150% of the work, they have they can bring in more cases and then more kids can get served and get high quality services. And so we wanted to take, take those pieces um, and put them as part of our training package as well. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point, which is that a lot of BCBAs are overwhelmed. Like a lot of us don't have the time to provide quality supervision. And I think what you're proposing is, you know, sounds really great because we're going to be getting candidates that hopefully we're better trained. But I mean, in the meantime, do you have any suggestions for those BCBAs who like what you described sounds to me, what what I'm thinking is like, that sounds like so much work and so much time for me to supervise someone else doing that. And a lot of us have full caseloads and have a lot of demands. And I think part of the challenge with the requirements for BCBA is on the BCBAs to find the time to provide that supervision. Like, how do you, do you have any suggestions to us in the meantime to resolve that? Yeah, that's actually a really great question. And segues kind of into our shorter term goals. So that's our long-term vision. That's a very big vision. And at first we looked at, do we do our own research? Do we, do we, do we, implement this model and see if it's effective, it takes a really long time. Do we make a whole curriculum and then put it out? That's a lot of investment for something that's untested. And so what we're doing in the short term is using our website and our social media to release templates and support systems that BCBAs can then use. So instead of a BCBA having to be like, well, how do I teach you how to set up a new client or how do I teach you to interpret an assessment? It's really hard when you sit that you, I mean, your, your resources are amazing. You know how long it takes to, to break down, break down one little task. You're like, Oh, it's just a little task. And then you start doing it and you're like, Oh, this is now six pages. Oh, but we forgot it's six pages, but we forgot this whole other thing. So it is a lot of work. And so we're trying to create those templates and those resources, behavioral skills training with packets and resources and sample materials that say, here's what you're going to, basically like a lesson plan for a BCBA that says, first, you're going to teach this. Here are questions that you can ask your, your trainee to get them thinking about it. Here are some suggested articles that relate to it. Here are keywords if you want to look for more articles. And then here's what you're going to observe. Here are competencies tied to the observation. 
to make it easier for BCBAs to just say, oh, I need to do an FBA. Let me print out the FBA trainings or lesson plans. And then my trainee can be more involved in it. And then they'll know how to do FBAs. And they can take that, some of that off of my plate a little bit in the future. So we're working on it. It's a slow progress. I'm sure you see with uh, your, own, your own website and your own materials. It's a slow and steady process. Yes. That's the right attitude to have. Definitely. Yeah. It's hard. You want to hit the ground running all at once. And uh, then you realize, oh my gosh, this is too overwhelming. I can't get three hours sleep every night for five months straight. Right. Um, Oh my gosh. You read my mind. That's how I'm always like, guys, we got to move faster, but we all have full-time jobs. I have two small children, you know, Gabby's applying potentially to uh, PhD programs. We're all doing a lot. And yeah, you can only do so much in a day. And we also want to make sure what we are putting out there is reflective of the quality that we want to see. And so we, especially in the beginning, we're really taking our time and really being diligent in what we're producing. And you have to, because quality is so key. But I think if you weren't feeling that, then then something would be wrong. Like part yeah. of the passion is feeling like there's never enough time in the day and I want it to happen tomorrow. And it's like that drive is really because you're passionate about it. So that, yes. that should be there. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. That makes me, I always, that's great validation. It always makes me feel better to hear from other people who are in the same place that you're feeling the same way. Yeah. I mean, I'd find myself working on you know, stuff to like 2 AM and I was like, oh my God, where did the time go? Like you just, you just forget that it's work. Yeah. Yes. It's so true. You really, like, once you get started, it really, it's just so enjoyable and I really love it. And providing training to people and then seeing how they apply it. It's it's just, I love it. It's just one of my favorite. It was always one of my favorite components of my job when I was a clinical director and it just also being able to help BCBAs not feel so burnt out and feel empowered to know what they're doing and know that they're confident in training the next generation of BCBAs. Mm-hmm. It, it is really empowering and inspiring. Like I, ju- I just want to keep doing it. That's awesome. So could people access you in terms of the training? Like I, I imagine your long-term goal, you'd be um, reaching potential BCBAs who are looking for their supervision hours. Could they access you from anywhere? Like, is this a remote program? Yeah. So they could access us from anywhere. Everything's on our website. And right now we have some resources that are downloadable. We also have a resource library. So we've gone through most of the supervision research. There's always new things. There's always things that we've missed, but we've gone through as much as we possibly can. And we've posted all of it on our website. We've tried to aggregate it as much as possible. So that's all there and available as well. And then we also have, right now we have one CEU training available on our website. We're going to be, we have a couple more lined up that we're going to be adding uh, shortly over the coming months as well. So everything is, is available on our website. And then if organizations were interested in having us help them set up, they can always contact us to discuss that. That's wonderful. I love the fact that you're sharing with the community. You know, you mentioned earlier about how we seem to all be operating in silos instead of unity, 
Right. And that's how Sharon and I got started as well. Right. We said, listen, like we've got it, we've got all these things, we've got all these resources. We should be giving it back to the community. And you know, you sound like you're the same way. You know, I've been doing, you know, you've been doing supervision forever, it sounds like. And you know, you've got your curriculum, you've got um, you know, you've worked with various individuals and you're very confident in terms of giving quality supervision. So I love the fact that you're reaching out and now making this something that isn't just insular and something, you know, that people just living near you can access, um, but that, that people can access it from wherever they are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And like, hopefully it gets more people communicating. And we also are very open and welcome to see, welcome feedback as well, because, you know, we recognize that our experiences are limited to the organizations that we've all been a part of. And so we're still learning what other organizations might offer. We've all, we have had pretty diverse experiences between the three of us. But, you know, there's always, none of us have ever worked with animals, for instance. None of us have ever worked in like the criminal justice system. So I think that there's always other areas to grow in. And we always welcome that feedback too, because the more we can all communicate, like you said, we're, we're no longer operating in silos and the field can unify to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, I, something I think a lot of us struggle with, myself included, is how you mentioned you can get BCBA candidates in very different places, right? Some of them are just, they, they have it. Like it's almost like intuitive to them and like they really get it. And those are like the easy ones to supervise. And then you get the ones who like just don't quite have it. Uh, you know, they need a lot more time. They need a lot more hand holding. And at some point we potentially feel like they're really not ready what what do we do with those people? Like, what do you recommend that conversation looks like? Whether it's, you know, um, I think you need more training in this, but what but what if it's more than that? Like, what if, you know, they, they're just not a good candidate for the field? Have you ever encountered that? Ooh. Uh, ooh, that is a good question. Let me take a second to think about that. Yeah, I have. I think that I've had a lot of honest conversations and I find that when I am, a little bit more vulnerable with people that I supervise and not in a way where I'm going to come in and I'm going to cry about the fights that I got in with my friends or how hard my kids are. Although I guess I do talk about my children a lot. Um, <laughs> but when I'm kind of more vulnerable about my own experiences and what I've struggled with as either when I was in training or when I was a new BCBA or just, I think my own, my own strengths and my own areas for growth, I find that those conversations are easier because that I'm, I'm more relatable. I'm not kind of this stone wall who's saying, well, here's where you need to work on, but you know nothing about me and I'm just coming at you as your superior. It feels more like a conversation between two people who have that mutual respect and mutual understanding that the purpose of supervision is to really support them. And I feel like I get more honest responses. You know, I worked with somebody a few years ago who parents kept telling me, well, I feel like she's just, this is just a job for her. We've had other therapists who come in and they go the extra mile and they do this extra stuff. And she comes in, she does, she does okay. And then she walks out and she leaves. And I started off the conversation talking about some of the things that I've been going through recently and how hard things have been for me. And I said, you know, I've I've noticed that it feels like you're checked out at the end of the day. And she said, she was like, you know, actually the clients that I've been placed with are not clients that I really enjoy working with. And so it's been hard for me to find the motivation to work with them. And I feel like had I 
started that conversation with parents are concerned about your performance, it would have felt really demoralizing to her and she would have shut down. And instead, we were able to have this really honest conversation. We were able to look for other clients that were more motivating for her. She really she really wanted to work with higher functioning kids who had more skills, who really needed social skills help. And so she was working with kids who were really working on prerequisite skills and, you know, toilet training and basic man. And she wanted to be working with kids on like how to keep personal space. So we look for clients. You can't, you can't do it overnight. You still, right now, this is your caseload. We have to, you have to show that you can do it and that you can do your job and that you can, you can work with these kids effectively But if that's not what you're going to do forever, let's wait until we have some clients that are appropriate and then let's continue supervision with those, those clients. We can't do it overnight. You know, we can't just, it's unethical to just switch our caseload, but we made it, we tried to make it happen when we could. Yeah, that's such good advice. And I think back to like, we get thrown into the field as BCBAs and there's nothing on the task list about management and staff management and communication with your staff is also a huge component of what we do. And it's such an important reminder because, you know, maybe I can speak for myself, but like when I'm feeling busy and overwhelmed and someone's not performing, it's hard to have the patience to be like, just, you know, just do your job better. Um, Because the conversation you're describing does require, you know, vulnerability and time and patience and caring. Like you have to care about the answer. Um, And I think that we can, you know, all do better in terms of practicing those skills, those soft skills that are not just about how well can you write a program or how well can you change behavior, but how well can you be effective in in your role, in your staff training, in your communication, like all of those things are just as important. Yes. Yes. And I I also completely agree. I feel like if you're not in the right headspace, it's really hard or if it's, you know, it's a third staff member you're, you've had an issue with that week or that day, you're like, oh, what now? But you have to, I think it's such a great point. You have to, to wait until you're in the right headspace to be able to have that conversation. And if you're not ready, it's almost better to wait than it is to address it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good advice. Speaking of advice, though, um, we do have a lot of, you know, newly minted VCBAs who are feeling overwhelmed and, you know, find us and find our resources um, and hopefully are listening to this podcast. So what advice do you have for a newly minted VCBA? I mean, you've been a VCBA for a while, so maybe you have to think back to like what, what it felt like all those years ago um, and what advice like would have really helped you. Yeah. 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 So I'm coming up on 10 years as a BCBA. Congratulations. Which is really, really exciting. And I'm getting to that point where I don't want to admit how long I've been in the field anymore because it's, it's the numbers are going up there. And that means that I'm that far away from the early part of my career and my (laughs) my early twenties, basically. Okay. Uh, Nicole, my BCBA number has a zero in it. Like I, I got certified in stone age at the stone age, (laughs) the stone age. I got certified in 2005. I'm coming up on my 20 year. Wow. Okay. Okay. Let's just put it out there. I was 10 when I got my supervision. I'm just kidding. I mean, the supervision requirements back then, probably you could have been 10 to have gotten your supervision. (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. They've really, they've really changed since then. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, you've humbled me. Thank you. I appreciate that. You always, (laughs) always, that's a good reminder for me. You win. I win. I'm old. Uh, I think as a newly minted entrepreneur, I've been really thinking about 
how I was when I first started as a BCBA. And I've really, that, that reflection has already kind of come up naturally for me because I'm getting put into a lot of scenarios besides supervision reimagine. I also am doing a lot of private one-on-one direct therapy with kids. And then I'm also working on IEP coaching and educational consulting. And so I've been doing a lot of things that I are adjacent to things that I've done before, but maybe not exactly what I've done before, where maybe I've done it in New York City and now I'm doing it in New Jersey and the school district looks different than the previous school district. Or I'm working with a child who has slightly different needs, but a similar process that I've seen before. And so I feel like I've been encountering situations that bring up those old feelings of when I first became a BCBA and have allowed me to reflect on that. And I think that what I'm doing differently now is I'm really trying to hold space for the idea that I am good at what I do, but also I'm growing. And there's space for both of those to exist. And it's okay for both of those to exist. I know when I first became a BCBA, and I I think a lot of people feel this way, I can't make like, I don't have, I don't have any data. Um, But just from speaking to people, I think that there's a lot of imposter syndrome that happens. And people feel that growing piece really sticks out. And so people feel really insecure. And every time they make a mistake, it confirms that they're still growing or that they don't know something. And it doesn't allow space for that. But I'm really good at what I do. And I'm unique. And I bring something valuable to this field. So when you don't hold space for the fact that, yes, you can make a mistake, but you are still really good at something. And there's a reason that you passed an exam and you did... You've done all this, at least 1,500 or 2,000 hours of field work. You've taken all this coursework and you know a lot more knowledge than a lot of other people do about ABA. You miss that piece. But also there's the flip side, which I haven't experienced, but I also know other, I've also seen other people where when you only hold space for the, I'm really good at this, you miss all those learning opportunities to become better. And you miss all those learning opportunities to grow in the areas that you still need to work on. So I've really, I think in, in my current role and my current situation where I'm growing in all these different areas, I'm really trying to hold space for both pieces and to appreciate the learning process, but also appreciate those wins and those great pieces and where I do really well. And remember that, oh, I'm good at this. I have, I have experience. I can do this to help with a confidence piece as well. And so I think for BCBAs, newly minted BCBAs, they should hold that hold those pieces. So true. My daughter's grade three teacher talked about growth mindset. And she always said, you know what, just say yet at the end of any, any statement that you don't think you can do. Right. So I can't do this yet. I can't do this mm-hmm. yet, period. And it sounds like when you're talking about that and holding space for things that you may not be good at yet, sounds very similar to a growth mindset. And I love that. And yeah. I so wish someone told that to me, you know, 10 years right. ago when I started out, because it's so true. And it's all those feelings of like imposter syndrome and am I really good at this? And can I do this if there's so much more to learn and there's so much I don't know? And those two things really can get to you. And if you don't have a mindset of like, both of those things can be true. Yes, I have a lot to learn and I'm still at the beginning of my career. But at the same time, I'm confident that like I'm here for a reason. So I love that. But let's face it, you know, we've we've been in this field. All of us have been in this field for so long and we still like what we do because we're still growing or at least I am anyways. So, you know, 
20 years later, 25 years later in the field, I'm still finding things that I want to do and that I'm passionate about and that I want to research further, you know, that it's like, okay, hey, I don't know everything. Still, I don't know everything. I wish I did. Um, But it's about, hey, you know what, I want to go down this rabbit hole and I want to research this now or, hey, I've come across this, you know, particular individual who, you know, I've never worked with this type of individual before. Let's go and look at the research on this. And I'm that's still happening to me today. So, you know, never mind newly minted BCBAs. That's really good advice for everyone. Well, thank you. And thank you. I um, want to ask you more questions about what you're researching and what you're learning about now. Um, well, lately, I uh, just took um, a position in a group home and I typically have worked with younger students. So I, you know, I would say that most of my career was in early intervention. And then, you know, some of my kiddos grew up and, you know, I was working with, um, you know, like the seven to 10 year olds, and then it hit puberty, what have you. I'm still working with the younger kids. That's my passion. And that's where I'm really comfortable, period. Um, And now I'm working part-time in a group home with, uh, you know, 30 year olds. And, you know, I've done some group home experience before, but this is a little bit different because it's very much like an ABA group home and I love it. Um, and it's just, it's different for me. So it's, it's really great. Just learning some of that stuff again. Yeah. Yeah. If I think if I wasn't challenged, I don't think I could, like, I continue to like learn, you know, take on a new population or learn a new job. And if I wasn't challenged, I would get so bored. I think that's just my personality. So like, I just continue to like explore new, um, you know, new areas in the field, but maybe not even in the field. Like I work with a lot of like multidisciplinary therapists, so not just ABA, but how ABA and education and OT and PT and speech and all of those really overlap to really create like, you know, a a whole comprehensive approach to therapy. And that that's what I'm interested in now. That's those are both really like such needed areas for growth for ABA, especially the multidisciplinary pieces. It, It just, we don't work we don't operate independently. And well, it's, sometimes we do, and that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't operate independently, yes, although I don't it. like the word shouldn't, but we don't, we are not supposed to operate independently. You know, kids don't live in a, in a world where everybody understands and knows and does ABA. And so in order to, to function in the real world and in society, you have to understand all these other components. And there's so much value that all the other disciplines can bring to a child's life. Yeah, definitely. And I love that approach that ABA is starting to go there now. You know, it's it's still somewhat insular. Um, but, you know, way back when we lived in a world where, you know, you put blinders on and nobody talked to anybody and you had to have your SD voice and you had to say things in a certain way and all the therapists needed to be consistent with what they said. And I love the fact that that's changing now and that, you know, even with reinforcement, et cetera, reinforcement is getting away from edibles and reinforcement is becoming a lot more varied and, you know, looking at natural contingencies within the environment. So behavior can maintain blah, blah, blah. Um, So I really am excited to see where this field is going. Yeah. Um, With that being said, um, if there was one thing you could change in the field, what would it be? So I would love to fast forward 10 years, because I think that this is this change is going to happen anyway. But I think when it tying back to supervision, we you know, we talked about how back when we were getting field work, it was, you know, it's 1500 hours. I think it's 75 hours were supervised. It was really, I think it didn't change until 2014. It was pretty much the same standard for almost, you know, 15, 20 years. And then um, over since 2014, the BACB has continued to increase the, st- the standards for supervision, which is absolutely necessary. 
and I think has, has brought a lot of improvements. And so now it's tying that together with organizations that need to be able to provide quality supervision and need to have the resources, whether it's time or money or physical resources to be able to allow their staff to get trained effectively. And I think that we are human services field and most other human services field have, fields have different setups for their training where, you know, med- uh, doctors, they have their internship and then their residency and then they become attendings and they still their fellowships. There's like so many different options for doctors and even social workers have to do a couple years after they become it varies state to state, but for the most part, have to do a couple years under somebody with more experience before they can practice independently. And so I think all of that is going to happen over the next 10 years. But like, like we said, I'm, I'm so passionate about it that I just, I want it to happen now. <laughs> so yeah. do you know, doing my part to see what we can do to reduce those barriers now for the world that we're currently in. Wow. We all have big goals, which is amazing. And yeah. yours sounds so great. I mean, we could talk to you forever. Um, but where can people find out more about you if they're interested? So we have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. So at Supervision Reimagined. And then we also have our website, which is supervisionreimagined.com. Or they can email us at supervisionreimagined at gmail.com. So for those of you guys who are listening to the podcast, this will be in the podcast notes as well. So go back and check those notes. Yeah. And check them out because their website is great. I mean, they clearly have so much to share on the topic. So I know we all need that. So I I highly recommend go checking them out. Um, Nicole, thank you so much for being here. It was really nice to talk to you. Like I said, we could talk forever. There's so much to to discuss in the field, Um, but thank you for sharing. And Good luck with your, you know, all of these goals. And we really hope to hear back from you in not 10 years, but, you know, maybe a year or two. And all of these things are in the works. Yes, I would love that. And I am excited to see how your website and all of your resources grow as well, because I think that they are really valuable to the field as well. Thank Thank you. you. Well, congratulations and good luck with everything, Nicole. Thank you. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How To ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.